Last week, we ended our study of Mark's gospel account when Jesus and the three disciples with him were on their way down the mountain. It was on the mountain that Jesus' glory was unveiled. God incarnate, the King of glory, greater than any other. And yet when he returns, veiled in flesh, this is where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And he finds there a world that does not believe in him. Finds an unbelieving world full of bickering scribes, desperate fathers, demonized boys, and prayerless disciples. And it's a sad contrast as we come to this morning's text, as we see the, the Lord of Lords coming into contact with a world that does not believe in Him, a world in great need of Him. But it is here that we learn about faith. Here that we again see that Jesus is the only one who can save, who can deliver. That we would rely on him. That is what it means to have faith in something. To rely on, to be confident in, to trust in him alone. Believers... may not always have great faith. You may not have perfect faith. But the one who believes in Christ and who knows Him relies on Him completely and goes to Him, depends on Him, even in their moments of doubt. Let that encourage you that you can come to the Lord as we have even this morning in prayer and depend on Him. Let's read the Scripture for this morning, Mark chapter 9. Beginning in verse 14, we'll read to verse 29. This account. Verse 14. When they came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. 
And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Jesus came down king of glory the one who is worthy as we sang this morning of all honor and glory and praise he came down the mountain where his glory was revealed to a squabble between Scribes and the disciples came down to a father's anguish and distress to that young boy's suffering. And he cries out, verse 19, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long must I put up with you? He's justly grieved here by the people's lack of faith, their unbelief. Most especially his disciples. He calls them a faithless or an unbelieving generation. To be faithless is to not rely on God. Is to not trust in His power. And unbelief grieves God. Because to lack faith in Him is sin. To lack Faith in the one who made us. Is to disobey him. 
Fundamentally, unbelief is at the root of Adam's sin in the garden. When he willfully chose to disobey God. To disbelieve God. And the world was cursed because of it. And so it is the sin of unbelief produces the strife and the doubt and the self-reliance that we see in this account. And that we experience in our own lives. When God is not king and when he's not acknowledged as Lord. Chaos rules. And every man looks to himself and not to the Lord God. And this is the, the norm of the world. This is the, the way that Jesus characterizes his generation. And every generation that does not Trust in God. If you're taking notes, Jesus came down to an unbelieving world. And it wasn't pretty. And we shouldn't pretend that lack of faith in God is okay. We shouldn't pretend that to have our faith, everybody has their own little faith, as though that's the way that it's meant to be. What does Jesus say in verse 19? After he cries out, O faithless generation, a second time Jesus cries out and he says, Bring him to me. Jesus here remains willing and he remains the only one who's able to save this boy. He remains that way whether people believe it or not. He remains compassionate and almighty whether we recognize this or not. That's the character of our God. It's who he is. Who he is doesn't depend on our faith in him. The one who believes recognizes and acknowledges who God is and comes to him. The one who believes brings their cares to Jesus. To him alone. Because they see that it's only He that can help us. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ calls us to rely on Him. To rely on His mercy and strength. All other faith is useless. It's dependent on something that has no power. It might be well-meaning but it's misplaced. 
So what we find in verse 20 is that they did bring the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, verse 20, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. The boy has symptoms similar to, to epilepsy. And many people have tried to say that that is exactly what it is. We're told here very clearly that this was caused by an evil spirit. So what of the nature of his, his uh, trouble, his illness, his condition, it was caused by an unclean or an evil spirit. We've already seen the disciples couldn't help. And I'm sure the scribes couldn't help either. That's probably one of the reasons they were arguing who's better, <laughs> whose method is right, right? But neither of them could help. And it's at this point that Jesus asked the dad some questions. It's very personal. He doesn't fuss around with the disciples and the scribes. He goes to the dad. He talks to the dad. And he says, verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? And the, the father says from, from when he was just a child. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. This is the words of a man who's distraught who has no other hope. Can you relate to that, Dad? He's tried everything. His faith is worn thin by years of suffering. Every day he's had to watch his son suffer. And he couldn't do anything about it. He's been tormented. And then his hopes are raised. He's going to bring him to Jesus. Jesus is on the mountain. So he figures the disciples can help. But then his hopes are crushed when the disciples can do nothing. Jesus questions provoke a cry for help from this man. And they reveal a struggling faith. This is what he says, verse 22. It is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, anything at all, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus challenges the father's doubts with a remarkable statement. He says, all things are possible to the one who believes? That's a statement I think many of us struggle to 
lay hold of. Jesus makes it plain here that his capability is not the issue. The Father says, if you can do anything. But Jesus is the one who can. And by this saying, Jesus challenges that man not to set limits on what is possible with God. Not to set limits on what is possible with God. You see, the reason that all things are possible for one who believes is not because of their faith. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'm going to give you an example from our world, from the world of Looney Tunes. How many of you watch Bugs Bunny Saturday mornings? I did. I'm not that old, but I did, yes. And other shows like that. But there's an episode where Bugs Bunny thinks he's Elmer J. Fudd. I can't remember what happened. Maybe he got hit in the head or something happened. And he goes around saying, I am Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. He, he believed it. He thought, this is who I am. But the reason it's funny is because we all know that he was just a bunny. His faith and his repeating that mantra didn't change anything. It didn't make him any of those things. It's the same with you and I. We can believe really hard. You could say, I'm a millionaire. And you'll wake up the next morning and you'll still be short a million dollars. If you are a millionaire, you can say that and you have confidence because, hey, I got the bank account to prove it or the house or whatever it is. The reason that all things are possible for the one who believes is because of who a person believes in. Because of the power of God. Faith agrees with Jesus Christ that all things are possible with God. This is what Jesus says in Mark 10, 27. All things are possible with God. Not with you. Not with I. The one who believes then, is the one who trusts in the purposes and power of God. It's not just faith in whatever, whatever I want to happen, whatever I think should take place. Faith doesn't limit God. We can leave things in the Lord's hands. We must believe and acknowledge that He is able to answer our prayers. Well, the Father 
does the only right thing that we can do here. Repent of our unbelief. He knew. He struggled to get this. His hopes had been dashed time and time again and God hadn't healed his boy. He doesn't make excuses for his wavering faith. He doesn't blame it on somebody else. All those rotten disciples, they couldn't help me. It's their fault. He admits he still struggles to believe. And he asks for help. Are you willing to admit the times that you do not believe God? Are you willing to acknowledge when you have been trusting in your own opinions, in your own interpretations, rather than what God says? We deceive ourselves if we think that we have a perfect faith. I never doubt. I've never doubted. I've always believed. Be careful about your attitude. The father doesn't think himself outside of that unbelieving generation that Jesus cried out about. He includes himself there because he knows that he is. Faith, this is on your notes, faith is always honest. The one is, who believes is honest when they lack faith. It's better to have a little and honest faith than a lot of pious sounding lies. Okay? Do we need to check our heart and our attitude? Who is it that we're depending on? The one who believes is honest and they lack faith. We also see from the Father, faith asks for help. A person can acknowledge in, in their heart of hearts, I don't have it together, I lack faith. But press on anyway in their unbelief. We can rely on ourselves. I can't count the times that that has been my attitude. As a young man who thinks that I know better than God. It's a very simple thing to ask for help. To ask for forgiveness. To ask for strength. To ask for salvation. But it's humbling. And so I'm thankful that we have the rest of the story that we can see again and again in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is indeed trustworthy. That He's able to help. 
is able to save. Verse 25 through 27. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Lord of hosts, he can do that. He can say that. What happens, verse 26, after crying out, and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. He was gone, they thought. Jesus tried, just ended up killing the boy. That's not the end of the story. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus did what no one else could do. One more of Satan's captives was released that day. The darkness was dethroned by the King of Kings. And he reigns Seated in the heavens in power and glory. He remains, as the author of Hebrews tells us, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same compassion and the same power to save. Of the disciples have questions. They're still sorting through all of this. They're learning in real time from Jesus. So they ask in verses 28 and 29, uh, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus answers their question quite simply. They didn't pray. They relied on their usual methods. They went through all the right motions. But for whatever reason, they did not ask God's help. They did not seek him, and so they did not rely on him in that moment. Faith does not rely on human methods or resources, but turns to God through prayer. Human resources are fine, but they're also finite. They don't last. You can't save your soul. You stand before God as someone who has refused to believe in Him. Your wits and your money and your friends 
won't get you out of every trouble. The one who believes is the one who prays. Prayer, you see, is the expression of a person's faith. When we pray to God from the heart, it is an expression of true faith. Some manuscripts add and fasting at the end of verse 29. Whether original or not, I I don't know whether Jesus said that. But both actions, prayer and fasting, express a person's dependence on God in, in one's speech and in what you do with your, your body. Jesus is teaching the disciples here that they must depend on God. They must rely on Him. Prayerlessness is a dangerous habit because it reveals our unwillingness to believe God. And we would be foolish to think that our faith and just be sort of somewheres in there, not expressed in any way. We are embodied spirits. And so we will express our faith in ways that are tangible in honest, heartfelt, persevering prayer. How a person can pray sort of as a method to get things from God, almost a transaction figure. I pray, I get on my knees for this amount of time. God, you should give me this. And that's the wrong kind of prayer. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus condemned in passages like Matthew 6. People aren't aren't praying because they depend on God in faith. The kind of prayer that God desires of us is the kind of prayer that The Father prayed. Prayer is just asking God, talking to Him. That's what the Father did. He spoke to His Lord and God. And He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's an honest prayer that didn't depend in any way on the Father. He was depending on Christ alone. In contrast, the disciples were not depending on God. When they said, why couldn't we cast it out? Notice where the emphasis was in their thinking. Me. What did I do wrong? Their words show that they were not trusting in God. 
They weren't relying on Him. Their focus was on themselves. Well, what about you? What about me? What do your actions say about your faith? When trouble comes, is your first reaction to pray? Are you honest before God and others when you struggle to believe? Your prayers come from a heart that trusts in the power of Jesus? Or is it just a method to get what you want? Manipulate God. It's good to ask these questions of ourselves. And in asking them to look to Christ. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. See where Paul is putting the focus. He understands that it's Christ alone that is his hope and his Savior, his helper, and his God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. We do live a life in the flesh, in our bodies. The life I now live, I live how? By Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. In this is our only hope. The life of the believer, the life of the Christian is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the good news that all of us, all humanity, Deserves to die for our unbelieving ways. For not worshiping Him and trusting in Him as we ought. But that Christ died as a substitute. Paying the price for our unbelief. So that whoever believes not in themselves, but in, in Christ, would die to sin, Romans chapter 6, and live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God who loves His own, who gave His life for His sheep, for His people, How good it is to know that and to rely on Him alone. If you have not cried out to Him, if you have not relied upon His grace alone and His power to save you from your sins and from your unbelief, the call of God is that we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would repent of our unbelief, 
like that father and trust in Christ alone. Acknowledge I am a sinner. I don't trust in you, Lord, as I am. And ask Him to save you. Perhaps you have cried out to Him. You can acknowledge, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my only hope. Eternal life with the Father. But you're suffering some trial that seems too hard to bear. Call out to Him. Bring your cares to Him. And ask the Lord to help you. Even as you struggle to believe. Remember, His power alone can deliver you. I want to close with the words of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. If you didn't get the points written down or you want to review that afterwards, I'd be happy to do that with you. This is what the Apostle Paul prays in Romans 15, verse 13. And this is a prayer that we can pray with confidence. Confidence in Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And He will you believe will fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power not of yourselves but of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.